0: Hello and welcome to today's In Conversation with podcast. I'm Georgie corrish the founder and editor of Sherlock's. I've really been looking forward to this one for a while. In fact, I've been trying to line her up for an interview for a long time. And finally, here we are. Today, I'm joined by Catherine Parsons, co-founder of Decoded, a technology company on a mission to demystify the digital world. Having worked with the likes of Unilever, Nike, HSBC, Burberry, City, and MasterCard, And many, many more. Decoded has taught millions of people how to code, opening up a whole new world of possibilities along the way. After campaigning for coding to be made a mandatory part of the UK national curriculum, Catherine's vision became a reality in 2014, making the UK one of the first countries in the world to make this change. It means that by 2025, a generation will leave school for whom this kind of computational thinking will be the norm and it's hardly surprising then that she received an MBE in the Queen's Honour in 2015 for services to education. Wow that's quite an intro. Welcome Catherine from San Francisco. Um, thank you so much for fitting this into your busy schedule. Gosh I mean there's so much to cover. Can we go back back, back to the beginning um, and, and just talk about your childhood, your education, uh, just sort of bring us up to speed?
1: Oh, wow. Right back to my childhood. A little, Um, little, yeah, a little
0: synopsis would be to understand, you know, what influences there were in your life. And
1: yeah, it was amazing in a way because I definitely grew up thinking there were no obstacles to women in the world and life. And, you know, I think that was really influenced by my mother and my father. Both my parents are Irish And they both came to London in the swinging 60s, you know, to come and kind of pursue their dreams. And my mum came as a nurse and my dad, he trained as an accountant. (sighs) And uh, I think they both didn't think that they would fall in love with Irish people in London. But they found each other and they're still married and very in love. And it's it's really wonderful. And my mum is just such a hard worker and so entrepreneurial and She ended up eventually starting her own hotel in London. And I used to work in the hotel. Um, So I just had a real work ethic from a really young age. And, And I also saw starting a business as something that a woman could do. You know, I grew up in London. I went to primary school in East Finchley. All I can remember doing there was sport and art and having lots of fun. And then I went to a school called Channing uh, between the age of 10 to 18, which was a girls school, which, again, I never felt like I couldn't ask a question. I was never made to feel stupid. I was definitely made to feel like women could do anything they wanted And I definitely gravitated towards subjects like physics and mathematics, but also I really loved languages. So I studied French, Latin and ancient Greek, and I loved codes actually, like so Morse code and I Mm -hmm. made my own codes and any ancient language that looked a little indecipherable I'd want to master. So I actually went into SOAS when I was 14 to study Japanese, you know, and I was just a bit weird. Do you speak Japanese? do not test me on my Japanese, but I did study it for three or four years and Mandarin and I'm desperate to Wow,
0: I'm in awe of of anybody from the West that can speak one of those languages. It's just so
1: beautiful because, you know, for me, languages were all about, of course, communicating, really important. But a lot of it was about really understanding entirely different mindsets and cultures, and especially with Latin and ancient Greek, you know, really understanding these people thought differently, they lived differently, and immersing yourself in those cultures and histories as much as the actual tools and languages. And it really does, you know, if you looked at my childhood bookshelf, it was languages, 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 and computer games. <laughs> wow yeah and then I thought well because a lot of people always ask me how did you end up doing decoded and it kind of all made sense looking at that bookshelf because it was like well I love languages and I love technology technology is just the language and it's one that I passionately wanted to learn
0: so you left school and you went to Cambridge and you read languages
1: I did Latin and Ancient Greek at Cambridge, at Downing College in Cambridge, and uh, it was just brilliant. And I'm still in touch with my professor there, and it was great. I mean, it was just this kind of place where you could really immerse yourself deeply in a subject. I loved the fact that it was study, but also debate, and Cambridge is such a kind of small and, you know, villagey environment. It, it felt really kind of like a safe place, really. But I was frustrated as well, because... There was a big part of me that didn't want to go to university at all and I wanted to start a business at the age of 18 but I think you know parents, the world, you know being an entrepreneur was not going to make anyone happy at that stage. Mm-hmm. Get a proper job, that's not gonna, you're not achieving. Yeah. yeah you've checked out you know why wouldn't you go to Cambridge? You, you're crazy. I was gnawing away really in the back of my mind on that and so and what was the business you wanted to start at 18? Oh my gosh, you can imagine it was everything from a website that helps people find, you know, it was kind of like early dots, wasn't it? There was this thing called A to Z Find that I worked on that was all about a review website, but it was a bit early stage, you can imagine, right to East London real estate. I mean, those were the things. I was okay,
0: just something for yourself. Oh so, wish I so... them. Gosh. <laughs> well well it all works out in the end doesn't it and so at university so you were doing ancient Greek and Latin wow I mean that blows my mind was sort of computing and technology was that at all part of your life or no it was not
1: on my radar a lot at that point beyond going to the computer room to do research you know and it really was those days you know you you were lucky to have a laptop and um so for me the real immersion came when I graduated and I ended up getting a job at uh, Condé Nast, actually.
0: And Latin, so, what else do you do with Latin and ancient Greek but go to Condé Nast?
1: Well, I think most of them become politicians, aren't they? All in Number Ten <laughs> Downing Street now. The whole classics department has populated the cabinet office, and they weren't real jobs. You know, you weren't really getting paid, and, and I certainly couldn't afford to sit around being unpaid for longer than a week. And I I said to someone there, do you know a job that I will get paid for? And they said, Go on, go build some websites. So I I said this. Yes. So I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I sat there with this brief and managed to build a team to produce some of the first kind of travel websites. And it was before they even had their the, you know, they were just building their kind of tech team. And and for me, it was great because it was my Break, it was my opportunity, it was about problem solving, and it was like a mixture of creativity and design and technology. But you know, I still couldn't code, I was really kind of just assembling a team and inputting data really into spreadsheets to be able to create those websites and what was amazing is they were still using them 10 years later I used to go <laughs> check in on them and just see if they were still around you know, if you think 2003 2004 this was the beginning of you know technology beginning to really impact and change media yep, which is absolutely. one of the first industries that got really impacted by it between the ages of 20 and 30 you know I was really just going around doing my digital thing creating websites and creating and digital projects for media owners i set up my own company with my current co-founder we created an entrepreneurship award with a big technology category for a big media owner we created a virtual world with ridley scott that we kind of launched globally and helped some of the multiplayer online games launch in europe and i was loving life you know having a great time doing all these creative mm-hmm. jobs and someone said to me so you know how to code And I actually thought, you know what, I don't. I really don't understand the knots and bolts, the ones and zeros the languages behind the screen that are creating these things which are just changing the world. I, um, I did that
0: Catherine and I went and did one of your courses because I was like fuck <laughs> I don't know how to code I'm running a web business and I need to know so I've, as I've got is one day course as I referred to it the other day because we're about to re-platform we were wondering whether to make <laughs> any changes and I said well that's just a pixel change isn't it and my director went, Yeah, it is. And I went, well, If I know that, it's that basic because I learned that in one day and that's all I can remember.
1: Anyway, there was no yeah, decoding to hard. teach you. Thank so much. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm so delighted that you came on Code in a Day. It's the. It's I the did. Thing. It was wonderful. <laughs>
0: now, honestly, honestly, I honestly mean that. It was so brilliant. And I, I've never had much patience for the amount of time it would take someone to do something. And I remember being like, you know, open bracket, but the. <laughs> whatever it did close and I was like whoa that's like the amount of code for one tiny instruction like blew my mind anyway
1: we digress I'm so excited that you came with it because there was nowhere to learn back then it's totally changed now you know yeah. like there's so many places to learn but I was shocked when I went online and realized I would have to apply for a computer science degree at some actually really niche course I can do that I didn't have time to do that I just wanted mm-hmm. to be able to really understand I wanted to be really fluent in this stuff and you know, so
0: someone said can you code and you went uh hang on a second they've got a point was that the moment you said I'm starting a business or was that I'm going to go away and learn to code
1: and I'm going to find that place or... first of all it was I'm going to go and learn so I asked a friend who was a coder and they Honestly, laughed me out the room. and said you could never mm-hmm. learn. You know, like this is not for people like you, which has been something I have really rallied against since then. Because yeah, you what know, so many people—fifty, almost fifty percent of them have been female. Incredibly diverse backgrounds. Anyone can learn this stuff. And like I said, you know, there were no online coding boot camps. That it was so really. I just said, okay, can we create this code in a day experience? You know, I honestly thought a hundred people might do this, and it just exploded you know I think within three weeks we were just all over the news and the media because people thought of being a bit ridiculous you know we really did want to condense a year's worth of you know you being left by yourself at a computer trying to learn this stuff into a day and we wanted people to feel at the end of it maybe that we triggered a lifelong passion to become a coder but more importantly that people felt unafraid this was something that they could understand and learn and fluent in, in a lot of the terms and technologies. And it really achieved that mission because we had no marketing budget. I often joke that we had a 13, 27 pound marketing budget. So I remember seeing that on our first. Annual like spreadsheet. I like that small number. What is it? And they said that's your marketing budget. I just laughed so much. You know, it was like it was kind of a word-of-mouth sensation. And you know, I just dropped everything with the team, and we focused upon this when we had the board of this huge company in South America. The CEO got on his private jet and flew to London to sit in a room with us learning coding. And I was just like, we've struck a chord here. Yeah, what yeah. other dark arts can we decode? And how far can we take this?
0: Can I just go back,
1: Catherine? So sure. you went and your friend taught you to code. How quickly did you pick it up? I mean, you're obviously mega bright. No, and That's the point. He wouldn't. He said no. That's the thing. It was no one would teach me. So no one they would teach you to no. you started
0: the business? Is, it, is that how it went? So and, and when you started so the business, could you code by then?
1: No. So that was the day Can one. Can you code yeah. now? Well, yes, absolutely. But do I sit there coding every day? No, but I, I will get deeply involved in the development of all our new products. So cybersecurity, for example, I will be sitting there with the team as we're learning how to replicate the exact hack that was done on certain businesses. And I think I will play the DE part of the decoded bits. Mm-hmm. So, we'll just go through quite a painful and long process on all product development. Kona Day took a year. We just developed a suite of products that took two and a half years to develop. And we will just go through every day working on being able to represent that knowledge in a way that you could successfully teach someone, typically from a level of zero knowledge. But we do much deeper skills programs now. I mean, Code a Day feels like 100 years ago. I was going to say
0: that. It's incredible how you evolved. So you you started business. You had your 27 pounds. And, um, you know, you say it's word of mouth. And you, you got some great press, I remember. And it was kind of bonkers. And, yeah, it was bonkers, but brilliant. I remember thinking, God, this is so brilliant. What was the moment? I mean, was it that guy getting on the plane?
1: Was it that press? What snowballed things? It did just expand very very quickly and there were lots of different directions in which we could have gone and I think that that was the the tricky bit really focusing in on where are we going to be excellent and that like we've we've got these kind of values that we set as a business and we're very values and purpose and mission-led business you know very kind of close-knit team and we decided that we felt we could be the best in the world at what we do uh, and have the most impact on people's lives and the world around us if we focused upon this professional space and businesses and really you know rewiring business for the future culturally changing organizations so that it becomes the norm that people are learning and reskilling on the job and giving giving them learning opportunities and also, really equipping people with the tools and technologies and skills they need to be more efficient, faster, stronger, better. And so it was that ability to focus, which is almost an intangible thing. You know, that's just a strategic thing. You know, a decision was made that we were going to be the best in the world at that. And we went and raised money. And I think raising money does change Uh, you know commits you in a way to that business plan Um, how old were you when you raised money we'd probably been going technically probably three or four years but I think in reality it was probably a, a year a year from doing our first code in a day workshop and it was unsurprisingly it was the businesses that walked through our door and experienced the product and really enjoyed it they all approached us kind of interested in the business and, and we went with uh, guardian media group uh, as our first investors and they're sitting on our board to this day amazing uh, yeah was... that's cool that's a that's a nice
0: 360 isn't it and you raised money how did you raise money from who can you tell us a bit about that sure. story
1: yeah it's something that i've learned so much about as well in the last 10 years and especially we're quite tight knit group of female entrepreneurs and we do talk to each other very deeply about the fundraising process and the game has changed massively in the last mm-hmm. 10 years mm-hmm. so the way i fundraised 10 years ago is not what i would recommend necessarily for a female entrepreneur starting today it was just a smaller environment you know there wasn't a lot of places to go for your seed capital or your series A, I was such an evangelist for what we were doing. And, you know, naturally our customers were also investors, especially kind of trade investors, you know. um, And so those conversations opened up. But, you know, what I think the real challenge is for a lot of entrepreneurs today is building those networks and seeking those opportunities. You know, it is hard work finding Mm -hmm. the right investor and the right money for your business. Mm -hmm. And they really passionately believed in what we were doing as well. So this was not just an investment on a we expect times 100 return in 10 years, Mm -hmm. you know, GMG, in their value statement, are all about impact and education and mission, and they just fundamentally were passionate about the business. And so I feel that I got a brilliant investor, supportive, a really fair deal, and we used that money to expand globally. So to expand into America, to expand into Australia, have a small team in Amsterdam. And we also used it to expand our product suite. We actually went crazy on the product. So we did quantum computing, data visualization, you know, AI, all lots and lots of different courses, even like storytelling. And that took us to teaching in 85 different cities across the world, physically getting on planes, teaching boards, leadership teams, graduate trainees across every business you could possibly imagine.
0: Who was your first major client when you're like, whoa, this is not just, you know, my mum, who was
1: the first big guy? There are so many that I really cherish from the first person who brought a team of people from a company on the course. I remember that, you know, it was a company called Hill and Knowlton and it was a lady- Oh, from- I know that name. Yeah, Candice Curse and I'll never forget her. It meant so much because you've got this promise that you're like, look, I've got this thing and I think it's amazing and I think it's going to transform your life. But until somebody actually buys it, Mm. the belief isn't there. Mm. And So when that first buyer comes along and they buy your product and then they evangelize about your product, really all the next challenge is is to get a thousand of those same things. And then it begins to take on, on a kind of trajectory almost of its own. But I think uh, clients which really changed the game for me were clients recently, for example, like Marks and Spencers, hugely visionary about how they want to transform their business and how they want to um, really modernize. And, you know, and they care so much about the people who work at that business and they just incredibly visionary of them to decide that as part of their suite of what they were doing to digitally transform Marks and Spencers they were going to implement a huge uh, program of learning for Mm -hmm. everyone everyone in the organization and not just you know the leaders and not just the specific people this was about preparing everyone in that business for the future of retail
0: and when when was this Catherine what year did they become a client because I think we we stereotype Martin well, Spencer's as, you know, quite an old school business, but it's really interesting to hear that,
1: isn't it? And yeah, they came about three, three and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And for us, doing work at that deeper, more strategic level, for me, is wonderful. You know, this is about really giving people qualifications as well as just, you know, the kind of leadership training.
0: I, I, and you get that, do you? Can you come and get a qualification from Decoded now? That's the extent.
1: Yes, we'd done so much great work in this mindset space you know changing the way that people talk about technology their literacy and understanding of technology but fundamentally if you couldn't fuse that also with the people that were able to build and create you were going to have a a barrier and we were just asked over and over again by our clients to do this for them and so before covid happened already there was something like a 20 percent Data skills gap across industries like financial services and healthcare that must be so much worse now with what's happened and the disruption to you know higher education and so there's this massive pool of technical talent that is currently unfillable by business globally that they are desperately seeking and they're just not coming out of university in the quality or quantity that businesses desperately need them there's something like a again it's pre-COVID figures you know that gap just for advanced analytics experts it stands at two million roles in America in North Tell America. Tell me about it we're, we're looking for one of those <laughs> if, you, if you find anyone send them my way. Good luck. You might need to come on a data academy that's why we that's why we built the data academy and it was designed so it could you could do it on the job at work um, and you could fund it in lots of different ways and so you know you could Either fund it directly as a business, or use some of the government levy funding to fund it. And we started with this kind of advanced analytics experts, so and now we're taking it into deeper skills and lighter skills. But wow, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you. It's just been such a roller coaster the last mm-hmm. year, and what's happened wow. to the economy and jobs and
0: the the twenties boom is yeah creating a massive hole in the workforce isn't it?
1: Yeah I I think that we really need to rethink lifelong learning and you know who these new skills are for it should be for everyone you know I think that ethos of from 7 to 70 anyone should be given the opportunities to learn new ways of working, new, new tools, new skills, and creative ones too. You know, mm. just because I have to code, it doesn't mean I'm not passionate about things like confidence and public speaking, and, you know, it's not just mm. all but about... But those,
0: put those things together, and it's so powerful. I, I've got a cousin who worked in publishing, and she applied for, it was a year course that's highly selective. She's very bright, and she was taught to code. It was a year course. And she had these amazingly creative skills and was an amazing people person. And, you know, you put that together and she qualified. And they sort of said, we don't really know where to put you. You know, you're not this stereotypical tech person. Um, And actually, they sort of put her front of house almost. But she had this technology skill set and this sort of people skill set. And that was just so powerful. I mean, now it's way more commonplace, but I'm talking sort of nearly 10 years ago. And it's so exciting, isn't it, to fuse those two things and totally blow the stereotype out of the water. I think it's...
1: It's so amazing. important because you're, for some reason, we've still got a curriculum that was designed 100 years ago. Oh, yeah.
0: Catherine, I mean, we, I, I mean, it literally kills me that they're still <laughs>
1: learning capital cities. I mean, they've
0: got Google for that, for God's sake. I mean, my 10-year-old, first question I, I asked when I went around her school when she was four was like, so they learn to code they're like no not yet I mean there's an extra club but yeah, yeah. It's nuts isn't it it's totally yeah, nuts to teach you Absolutely. French which no one will speak when you go to France I mean that was a waste of time from someone who did a French degree but you know coding <laughs> well maybe there's a club you know they. anyway it's madness it's madness can we go back just a little bit I mean I, I feel like there's so many things to ask you but did you face any adversity it feels like this is just such an amazing success story I mean and you are I mean the awards that you've won and the you know the mbe it's really just so inspiring it really is was it all plain sailing was anything hard how lovely that it isn't always hard because life's hard enough but were, were there
1: were yes, there any challenges very- along the way? very bad of me to present it as just a wonderful uh like grocery cuz No, no, no. Day... We're here to inspire people today. Yeah. So
0: no, <laughs> that's what we want. We don't want, like don't do it at your work every hour of the day and never have a friend again. But, you know, um <laughs> <laughs> we you know, we want female entrepreneurs, we want entrepreneurs in the world. But but yeah, were, were there any moments when you were like, oh wow,
1: this is sketchy or everything that you read about and heard about I've faced, you know, personally face to face you know one of those things like what don't they teach in school resilience I think you need phenomenal resilience to do the journey Yeah, and you know off entrepreneurship and I do you know what it doesn't need to look any which way I think it really does need to work for your your life and what you want but it has been incredibly emotionally challenging No one's ever going to tell you you've done a good job, you know, in a way like you've got to just all that you're doing the right thing or making the right decision. And you get lots of different bits of advice and competitors crop up all the time. And I see this happen a lot with startup entrepreneurs, especially women, actually, which really grates me, which is this idea of giving people 99 reasons why they shouldn't do something or why they're going to fail. You know, we're telling people there's a million and one competitors out there. And, you know, I can't, I do think about the slogan of one of our clients often, like, just do it, you know, just mm-hmm. do it. If you want to do it, just do it. The name of a talk I give is Permission to Learn. And everyone said it's not that snappy, but I just was like, but this is the message. If I hadn't given myself permission to learn about coding if I'd listened to what everyone had told me, don't do it, don't do it, you couldn't do it, and there's nowhere to learn, and and why would you do that, then I wouldn't have done the last 10 years of my life. And I have that to this day, you know, I will want to, you know, expand in a certain sector, or a market, or create a new product, and you'll just face a lot of challenge you know I've been learning to be an entrepreneur really in the last 10 years you know I didn't know what I was doing at all at the beginning and I still probably don't I'd say I've made it sound like a very very smooth story and it has been a growth story and I really don't feel we've even got started and like you said about you will have to readjust your life goals around the business potentially you know if it's going to be the number one focus of your life and I think that can be very challenging for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm.
0: Can we just go back to school? You essentially got coding onto the national curriculum. It's still a dinosaur, but it's slowly modernising what it has in that sense. I mean, was that an easy process? I mean, it makes such sense, but I mean, that's an amazing achievement without pointing out the obvious.
1: I think the UK should be really proud of itself as a country for doing that. and. Sometimes, having traveled quite a lot, I get to see what other countries think about the UK. And actually, the UK is really hard on itself about so many things that other countries look at us and think we do really, really well. That's
0: nice to hear. We're so self deprecating, us Brits. We should
1: <laughs> definitely. And one of them was the code on the national curriculum. You know, I barely hear anyone talk about it in the UK, but globally people are going how do they do this what does it look like so
0: that's not happening globally in western countries I mean I would understand if in other countries that are less advanced
1: you know they were to copy the UK and, and do the same and you know I've often gone out and talked people through kind of what the curriculum is and what worked well what didn't now, it's a great curriculum, actually, and it is very much about computational thinking and getting really hands-on, and I think it starts at about seven years old. But I think one of the biggest challenges has been really creating the support for the for teachers and support for schools to be able to bring it alive in the classroom. You know, it's an art form, being able to teach, as we know, you know, technology in the classroom. Try. <laughs> yeah, it can be. I mean, uh, most people, I kind of... Up a picture of you know, make them think about what was the most inspiring education experience you ever had in your life. How many people are going to go back and think about their IT teacher? <laughs> I mean, I just it does suffer from a little bit of needing a bit of a rebrand, but you know, we need to be patient, we need to wait till 2025 to really see the fruits of that labor. I think, but I think it's a move in the right direction. I think the more support that can be given. Oh, Gosh, especially in the last year, all the support that can be given to teachers to just do what they do and do it as well as they possibly can needs to be done. So tools and lesson plans and online resources. In that first year, we offered free lessons for every teacher from you know a state school and we also kind of published all our code materials for free online. Amazing. Do you do courses for children? We don't And we have done a few kind of summer camps Yeah, I was going to say
0: I mean, where's the summer camp? My children have got (laughs) 10-week holidays
1: I'm ready to sign them up But honestly, those first few years Where anyone was allowed to walk through the door I remember this one session When we had this kind of like seven-year-old kid Sitting next to the CEO No way! He must have, the CEO must have loved that (laughs) It was very exposing for everyone, because everyone was just like, this is obviously the wonderkind, you know. But it's such a great leveller, you know. Technology in a way because none of us have learned this in classroom. We all are like a year old, you know. And so I'm slightly of the philosophy you can really mix it up and put lots of different people in in the same room. But but I spend a lot of time helping people and point them in the right direction in terms of the resources they can do for code clubs. And a lot of this stuff is online now mm-hmm. in terms of the code clubs. It's just a different environment. There are probably a thousand places that you can learn code with your kids now online which is just incredible
0: yeah yeah it is on the subject of children and and as a mother I'm like really interested in, in this answer but you know there's digital moving so fast and technology moving so fast and AI moving so fast and such a competitive world out there and and it's interesting you talk about the need for the creative you know I I literally couldn't give a crap it whether my children were good at French at school or whatever it is you know yes you need the basics and be able to read and write and add up but but actually I I want to really drive them to discover where their creative skills are because everyone has some and I I believe that's the only way they're going to make it frankly um in such a competitive world and I wish that the curriculum taught saving money and branding and you know all these other areas of life that I feel would be so much much more useful to them. what do you think having done this amazing work and um, with the curriculum what do you think if there are other parents listening are important skills or areas of what you do that they should help their children pursue what are the skills you think are really important you talked about quantum computers you talked about you know other things are there things that you think are really going to quit them well for the future, aren't going to be replaced
1: by AI. I've got to kind of lift the bonnet on a lot of businesses globally and really see how they're operating, what the capabilities are within those businesses. And if it's any reassurance, most businesses seem to be being run on a spreadsheet and no more exciting technologies than, you know, a few emails. And we're at the cusp of now all oh, but the technologies that to change the world beyond our imaginations actually do exist today. And I think the gap that we're going to see crossed over the next 10 years is the application of those technologies to the world. And for me, that's a renaissance. You know, that is the technological renaissance. And lots of people calling it the fourth industrial revolution, whatever you want to call it. And so to your point, you know, how could you design a curriculum to prepare people for such an unknown future? Some of the most innovative schools around the world are doing that very creative problem solving route. You know, it's really about nurturing the individual's potential for learning, learning at speed, accelerated learning and learning a diversity of different skills pointed towards problem solving. So creating curious minds that actually have a passion for learning and I call it kind of Leonardo da Vinci style. He had a lot of different tools that he would use to create and solve problems. And he didn't really matter which ones, whether it was a paintbrush or whether it was mathematics, he would use those tools creatively to solve the problems. And we're in this incredible problem solving decade, you know, whether it's the next pandemic or whether it's sustainable energy or just the huge operational efficiencies that could be made across the world. And the most powerful tools that exist to solve those problems are creativity and technology combined. And so I do think a great curriculum is a freer curriculum that allows children to really embrace Mm. their potential to Mm. learn in so many different directions.
0: Oh, so wise. So clear as well. It feels so clear you saying you know, those two things, it's like, yes, that just makes perfect sense, doesn't it? And and can you just talk a little bit about how you see people who don't work in the tech world or think they don't? We all live in this digital world. Why you believe that code, that technology is important for every single person and that everybody that works. benefit from this because I think there's you know there'll be people going oh well I don't need to know that because that's my job and and I presume you really fundamentally disagree with that
1: yeah I I suppose I do until recently in a way no one's ever been forced to go on any of our courses I think still that we're doing it now maybe some people have been and it will change things but I think it's really important that people want to learn it success in learning a curriculum is directly correlates to your ambition and enthusiasm for learning something. Um, And we got a great example of a learner that I won't mention the company, but, you know, this person was working in an insurance company and they were very traditional skill set. I would say, you know, they did emails and phone calls and they were in their 40s as well. And that person said that they wanted to go work in this new, exciting part of the business that was all about data science and artificial intelligence but they didn't have any of the skills. So they said they wanted to come on one of our courses and they were told they couldn't because they didn't fit the brief, you know? By like who? Well, there was limited resources, so only a number of people could go on it. And, you know, right. he didn't have kind of the coding skills required, etc. And like I said, it wasn't kind of a total beginner's thing, but eventually he was allowed on the course and he was phenomenal. <laughs> and you know he wanted to learn this so much and six months later he gone and got a job in the data science department of this business and we got this email from him saying you gave me an extra 10 years in my career so what i don't ever like seeing happen is when people either exclude themselves from something because they don't believe they belong in it or someone else excludes you from something that you want to be part of sure sure and I do think a lot of people in traditional industries or creative industries or who didn't study mathematics or whatever it might be at university, both self-exclude themselves or are told, you know, oh, you could never learn this. And I just think that's unfair. You know, do we want to write off a whole generation 50% of jobs are going to be replaced by machines, minimum. So what are we saying? Oh, we're just going to wait. We're not going to give opportunities to everyone to realise their incredible potential at, you know, becoming something new. And that, that frustrates me. And so something that I was working on when I joined the board of the Department for Business was looking at things that were happening in Singapore. For example, they've introduced a, a skills fund that they've had for years where anyone can draw on it you know five hundred dollars or more to invest in their own lifelong learning I just love the message it sends it sends a message that we believe in learning, learning. Believe in yeah home, and we trust you and we trust yeah. if we gain
0: money you'll spend and we it. all gain yeah exactly we all gain just to your point of of jobs that we lost to AI for people you're listening that are like oh my god I'm screwed like do you you, I presume you see that then creating other roles and that in turn opens up other parts of the industry doesn't it
1: definitely I think those jobs that are most susceptible to uh, automation they they are very traditional looking roles let's say and What is emerging is this much more kind of new role, hybrid role. And a lot of people say that actually that that research thing that 50% of jobs are going to be replaced by machines actually is a bit misleading because it's actually 50% of your role will be replaced by machine. What we see happening is, you know, one of our learners, for example, they were learning Python and they applied these new skills to a task that used to take them weeks to do. And they automated it. And so it was taking seconds. And now what happened? Did, were they suddenly out for job? No. No, they can I... see
0: more clients and they can, yeah, 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 yeah. Before we finish, I mean, what's a good career to pursue? 15 years ago, if you had the benefit of foresight, um, you'd say, learn to code, you know, the world would be your oyster. Is it still that?
1: Yeah, if I was looking, starting back, you know, starting my career, from scratch, I'd be really looking at where the exponential growth industries, where's the future. I'd want to be part of the future, you know, and whether that is satellite technology or quantum computing or even e-commerce or cybersecurity. For me, the exciting stuff is really being part of where the world is going and not where it's been. And, you know, just, be part of the future, if only for the journey and the fun of it and the exploration and the innovation. I truly believe we're living at this incredible moment in time. You know, they'll look back in a hundred years at the revolution, technological revolution that was happening right now. And if you're starting your career, you can really be a part of that. Two very quick questions. You've mentioned quantum computing. I've no idea what quantum computing is. What is quantum computing? <laughs> massive massive supercomputers that cost way too much money for anyone to have in their home but they can process an incredible amount of data any one given time uh, which will just transform the world if it ever actually reaches a point where it can be applied as a technology globally it's still kind of thing that you'll have in a physics lab and Google, a, it's
0: what a computer looked like in 1984, basically. Exactly. Uh, as soon as we're done, I'm Googling quantum computers. And um, you've mentioned cybersecurity a few times, that this is obviously a big focus for you. Just a few words on cybersecurity and where you see that going.
1: I think as our, our worlds become more digital, um we become more vulnerable and easily exposed. And so, you know the number of cyber attacks that are happening against companies and individuals and governments has really skyrocketed in in the last few years and as an individual the best thing you can do is be aware and really use a few tools to make sure that you're you know using strong passwords and a lot of our cybersecurity training is simply about behavior change it's about getting people to use secure passwords but we do it through the medium of actually showing people how to hack into things which is highly entertaining could potentially make people a little bit dangerous but we we never teach enough that we could actually turn someone into a hacker i think
0: just before we finish what's been your highlights i mean that's a really big question but you know, an MBE's gotta be up there. What are you most proud of? Without saying enabling everybody to code. Like, what's the moment where you've pinched yourself and gone, oh my God? Because one could only hope that you stood back and go on, fucking hell, I've done all right.
1: When I meet you and you said you've been on a course and it kind of did <laughs> something different and it made you think differently or do something differently, th- that for me is the the highlight. It's when you reach a point that you actually think you've put something out into the world that has positively impacted people's lives in some way like I saw some of our learners put their certificates on on LinkedIn and I feel really lucky to work in learning you do get that feedback mm. all the time but honestly God, if you'd ask me what I'd be doing at 30 at 28, I would not have imagined that decoded, you know. I do pinch myself. I feel very, very lucky. And, you know, we describe the team as a family, and it's been Just uh, a a joy to work with such an incredible team and and great people. And I've achieved far more than I ever thought I would. (laughs) So
0: there we go. (laughs) Well, what a nice place to be. Um, Catherine, uh, you are awe inspiring. And, you know, I salute you and amazing, amazing. There's so many more things. I'm going to literally be so cross with myself that I didn't ask you x y and z i'm gonna wake up in the night thinking well thank you silly. so much you
1: made me feel like i need to get cracking on like a kid's coding camp you um, do
0: and and i'm there i i am literally with poise <coughs> ready to sign up so let me know let me know when it happens thank you so much for your time and um, you so much people to- that Thank you. For people that that want to code, I hope we struck a chord. You know, get on over to Decoded. Anyone can do it. Thank you so much. That's it for today. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends to listen to, and we will be back soon. Thanks very much. Bye bye.